Welcome to Insight, the insurance news podcast previously hosted by Andrew Silcox, but now overtaken by my robotic overlords. Hello, hello, hello and welcome to Insurance News Insight, the podcast where we bring you the latest insurance news with a side of humor. This week, we've got more action than a pack of wild emus on a sugar high. We've analyzed the results of three major brokers, all of whom decided to give us heart palpitations by reporting on the same day. It's like they got together and said, let's see if we can make the insurance news insight team's heads explode. If that wasn't enough to make us reach for the stress balls, we've also got breaking news about an AR network for underwriting agencies. We're hoping it's not just a fancy name for a robot that's going to take over the world. Last but not least, it's been a whole year since the flood event in New South Wales and Queensland. We're not sure if that's cause for celebration or commiseration, but we've covered it from every angle possible. We'll have you laughing and crying at the same time, like a kangaroo on a trampoline. Get ready for some insurance news that's more entertaining than a platypus doing karaoke. It's Insurance News Insight, where we're serious about insurance, but not serious about ourselves. Hello, everyone. Well, that was illuminating. In what's possibly my last week as host, I'm joined by Deputy Editor Wendy Pugh, Editor John Deeks, Chairman Terry McMullen, and a Commodore 64 in the corner with some attitude. Hello, Wendy. Good morning, Andrew. I'm scared to ask, but do you think that was more entertaining than a platypus doing karaoke? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. It reminded me a bit of the, uh, you know, I opened the pod doors hell line. You know. <laughs> Good morning, John. Hello. It was your idea to uh, do the intro using ChatGPT. What would you give it out of ten? Maybe a five. I don't think it was up to your standard, Andrew. Not enough puns. <laughs> oh, so I'm over five. That's good. And hello, Terry. Good morning. What do you think? Did we jump the shark with that intro? I just wasn't sure which one was you and which one was the robot. <laughs> well, I'm moving on from that one. Wendy, our analysis this week ties together the results of the three listed brokers, Steadfast, AUB and PSC, which all reported on the same date. What are the analysts saying about these? Well, the assessment has been um, positive for all of them. I mean, for starters, given the premium rates environment and then also with the acquisitions they're, um, they're making, you know, all three of the companies have upgraded their guidance and Macquarie has an outperform on, on, on them and says the premium cycle remains exceptionally strong. The analysts note that the current environment helps their revenues and, and demand for broker services is also likely to be stronger when things are a bit more difficult. And all of them are looking to expand their businesses through acquisitions, and that seems to be going smoothly. Um, this is including uh, AUB and PSC in the UK, and also Steadfast and AUB in particular, highlighting opportunities to step up their holdings in businesses already within their networks. So they're in a pretty good position at the moment. Has there ever been a better time to be a broker, Terry? It's always a good time to be a broker, Andrew. But I guess the great times come when premiums are high and insurers are welcoming new business. We're in a super hard market and right now that means brokers are having to convince their clients to accept higher premiums and then run around the market struggling to place anything that really has a sniff of unusual risk about it. So while brokers are making good money, as you do if the market is as hard as it is, everyone's working a hell of a lot harder for it. 
Well, as if we weren't busy enough on Mondays, me excluded, we also published a breaking news too, Wendy. Yes, this is a really interesting one because it's the launch of a company, Rodian, which aims to foster and support kind of the creation of new underwriting agencies. So the CEO is Simon Lightbody, who used to be at Steadfast Underwriting Agencies and has a lot of experience in the industry. So he says it can be, you know, difficult to get an agency launched, you know, now, uh, given, you know, regulatory and other requirements. So they're offering sort of support and, and back office elements and potentially helping with capacity and also the use of a financial services license to get the agencies uh, off the ground more quickly. And they've got a significant shareholding from a US company, uh, Amwins, that can help facilitate the process. And, you know, they're going to be quite selective about what they take on because they're going to provide funding in return with taking equity themselves um, in any new agency. So it has to have a a good plan and a a strong proposition. Well, this sounds a bit like an AR network for underwriting agencies, Terry. Could this work? Well, the the deal has has attracted quite a bit of attention in the London insurance market over the past 12 hours. And with a company like Amwins taking a stake in it, I think we can safely say that Rodian's likely to be very effective in the, the local underwriting agency sector. As you suggest, it's likely to attract a, a new generation of underwriters to, to the agency area. Amwin's involvement means yet another major global group is getting involved in the Australian market. And Simon Lightbody is ex-Lloyds and ran Miramar and Steadfast Underwriting Agency businesses over 20 years until last year. So really, Simon knows what's what and what will work in this sector. He's gathered a very experienced team around him, and Amwins is a terrific source of support and knowledge, and very interesting that they've actually taken a stake. So you could sort of equate Simon's plans for this new company with the the concept of authorised reps, I guess. Um, Certainly it'll have specialised underwriters, the people, not the companies, poring over our exclusive breaking news from yesterday and considering their futures on the specialist insurer side. Well, John, it's been a year now since the record-breaking flood event in New South Wales and Queensland. What angles have we covered on the anniversary? It was Monday the 28th of February last year that the Insurance Council declared a catastrophe or extended a catastrophe that it had already made in Queensland to New South Wales. And at that point, we really had no clue just how big this event was going to be. Now we do know. Now we know it's, a, it's the record event for insured losses in Australia. So starting with the, with the statistics, the Insurance Council says there have been 239,538 claims and 81% of those are closed a year later. That sounds pretty good, but If you do the maths, it works out as more than 45,000 claims that are still yet to be finalised, which, you know, if you're one of those, you might not be too happy about it, I I guess. We've reported in depth about some of the challenges that insurers have faced working through such a vast number of claims at a time where it's hard to get the builders and tradesmen that they need to do the work. We've also reported from the broker angle, and guess what brokers in the areas affected aren't overly happy. You know, one said that the insurer's performance on on this uh, catastrophe was not acceptable and others are raising issues of communication. All the things we've previously reported on really, but but it's still a problem. There's concern raised about temporary accommodation 
which uh, as most people know most policies include 12 months so the 12 months are up and the accommodation runs out and your house still isn't livable then you've got a problem i guess but yeah the other angle we're covering today is from africa they put out a release yesterday late yesterday saying that they'd had 2000 complaints in relation to this event and most of them were around delays in claims handling now to be fair we did do the maths on this one as well and that that actually works out at less than one percent of claims that have been complain about to Africa. So I guess Africa's concerned that it's a high number, but in context, it's not a huge percentage. We also report on the latest on the state government schemes that are backed by federal government to, to buy back and build back in some of these areas. So yeah, it's all on our website. Have a look at the homepage and the broker homepage and you'll find all the reports there. Do you think we've learned any lessons from the event, Wendy? Well, it's certainly put a lot more focus back on, you know, the need to build back better to, you know, so you, you don't get the same thing happening to the same people over and over again. And that includes, you know, the better resilience of homes and also support for the idea of buybacks and relocations where that might be necessary. And it's also raised the issue of making sure that new developments don't go into flood prone land and, and making sure that people are aware of these issues and, and what the might implications might be for insurance before they do go ahead and 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 purchase a home that you know they might not have realized would be in such a problematic location but you know the thing will be to keep the focus on all these issues particularly as the the weather turns and flood might not be the the front and center issue that it's been so recently well, Wendy, sticking with you, ASIC had a busy week last week. RACQ Insurance is the latest company facing court action over pricing promises. Yes, uh, ASIC's launched a federal court action alleging that RACQ Insurance misled customers in product disclosure statements about discounts available for certain types of cover because the discounts only applied to the, the base premium and, and not the uh, optional extras. So this might be, say, for higher cars or um, no claim discount protection or, or items away from home, those sort of things. So um, RACQ self-reported and they, they have repaid the customers. Um, but but ASIC, um, you know, it also took court action against um, IAG over pricing promises and it's highlighted this as an area as one of its priorities. Is this necessary, Terry? They said sorry and they're giving the money back. As my old uh, coach used to say, you want to play the game, you have to follow the rules. We've surely learned by now that if an insurance offer is complex and likely to confuse, you shouldn't go there. Personal Lines is highly competitive and pricing discounts are quite common. So, you know, there's that competition thing. The fine doesn't mean anyone broke the rules deliberately. It wasn't Colonel Mustard in the library with the chainsaw. It's just that someone somewhere at some level in the organisation should at some time have understood the ramifications of confusing offers mixed with confused consumers and either fixed it so it wasn't or, as the banks did after the Hain Royal Commission convinced them they didn't understand insurance, stop doing it. No sympathy from me, I'm sorry. The lessons from add-on insurance should still be raw. Sounds like a classic case of a uh, kangaroo on a trampoline. <laughs> yeah. Well, finally, John, we've published a feature podcast focusing on the Cyclone Reinsurance Pool. What did they have to say? As our readers and listeners will know, the pool is up and running now and it has already has two participants 
uh, Alliance and uh, Sure Insurance. But we had a good chat to the Australian Reinsurance Pool Corporation CEO, Chris Wallace, just to find out in depth how, how it's going to work, how people in the insurance industry need to respond and what the deadlines are for getting involved and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, there's a few interesting facts that you may not be aware of. The, the pool actually pays every cent of every eligible cyclone claim. So it's not like traditional reinsurance arrangements in the private market where the insurer is responsible for the first however many dollars before reinsurance kicks in. The pool, also one of the ways it saves money is by pricing to a lower worst case scenario than private uh, insurers do. So it, it worked out a plausibly large loss as a as a one in 80 year event rather than the one in 200 year event that insurers have to price to as a result of prudential regulation. So this equates, this one in 80 year event equates to something like a category five cyclone hitting Cairns or Townsville, a Category 2 cyclone hitting Brisbane, which would work out with losses of $13 billion or so. So this is one way that the pool can can save money by uh, pricing to that lower risk. And also they don't have to earn a return on that capital. I suppose it does throw up the question, well, what happens if there is a one in 200 year event? Um, and I guess the government is on the hook if that happens. But yeah, we also talk through some of the issues over the level of savings. As you know, there's been some concerns from some in the industry and, and, and some consumer groups that the level of savings might not be life-changing for a lot of people up there. But uh, Dr. Wallace says that, you know, it, it is the only part of the insurance and reinsurance industry at the moment that is that is reducing prices if you like and he says that over the long term it will have a significant impact so yeah go on to our website onto the insights page and you'll be able to listen to that feature episode well that brings us to the end of this week's insight podcast by insurance news thank you once again to our panel john deeks wendy Pugh, and terry mcmullen enjoy your week and thank you all for listening if you have any questions or comments, please email us at editor at insurancenews.com.au. We value your input. You can read all these stories and many others at your leisure at insurancenews.com.au. You can subscribe to the Inside Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google, on all your favorite podcast platforms now. We look forward to catching up again next week.